we're talking about thin places. That's where the physical and the spiritual come together. And it can be a place. It can be a physical place, or it can be an event in our life. This morning, we're going to take a look, our first look, at a particular thin place that shows up most often in the book of Luke, and that's the table. We often miss the importance of the table. Before I get started, I, I'm trying to fig- get a new name for the group. I think I'm going to call it the Grayson Family Minus One Plus Two. Is that, is that right, then? You're, you're going to need a longer business card. That's all that I can say. But we are thankful for you sharing your gifts with us. Mark is, uh, yes, please. Yeah. And, and Mark uh, posted his last night in India, and he's on his way back. I imagine that'll be quite the trip, so keep him and his family in prayer. We've lost the meaning of the common meal at table. That's not because we're bad people. It's not because we haven't paid attention. It just means we have a lot of food. We have a lot of options available. We no longer have to gather with the larger community and pool our food together and hope that it lasts enough to feed everybody. We have food. We have food going to waste in the fields. We have food spoiling in our cupboards. And yes, people are going hungry, but that's actually a complicated set of issues. And it's not nearly as simple as people would like for it to be. In the 10 years we worked in the Detroit area, we fed the homeless in Cass Park. And yet, as we talked to the people that coordinated all the feeding events, one person uh, who headed up a particular ministry, which is, was an amazing one, said, nobody should be going hungry. He said, in Detroit, there are 40 places every day feeding people, and many of them, nobody shows up. And that was a, that was a bit of a shock. So I started to look around, and that's not unusual. We have food. It's all around us. That puts us at a disadvantage when we approach Scripture because eating a meal with a person back then was a profound event. It had great meaning to those involved. And to any who heard about it, they attached meaning to it. You ate with them, or that person ate with that person. And everybody understood what that meant, and there was a societal class change that took place because... You merely ate together. Privacy wasn't something to be craved because there was no such thing as privacy. We often miss this. If you lived in a house, it was one room. I don't know very many two-room houses for the common folk up until well, well after the time of Jesus. You changed in there. You slept in there. But you cooked outside, and most of your meals were taken outside. People could see you eat, and they could join you as you ate. In fact, others might see that you were eating, and if they were your friends, if they were on your same level, they may be allowed to bring what they have and add to the meal so that others could eat. The English would often make fun of the poor Irish just across the the sea from them, and they would refer to the meeting mulligan stew. And mulligan stew was just a, it was a derogatory way at first. It doesn't, it's not derogatory anymore. It's common usage. Just meant that everybody brought what they had and threw it in the same pot. And whatever it was, it may not taste good. It might not even be fresh or healthy, but it would keep you alive for the day. 
In America, you call it potluck. You come and, and, and people are saying, well, that's not how we do it. Yeah, I know, it's changed. Now you bring a lot of dishes that are heavily orange and cheese-based and <laughs> with dollops of mayonnaise and then wonder, why is everybody falling out with strokes? I don't understand this. But it, it is, it is. I, I remember one time walking into a potluck, looking down, and I said, everything here is orange. Even the jello, they, people, all right, Americans, just a word here, just a quick word. Jello's not that special anyway. Quit putting carrots in it. That's wrong. <laughs> you have robbed whatever value jello still retained. So just, all right, I'm done with that now. But the point, point is eating together was huge. And so when the psalmist says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, we don't get that. We read that and think, oh, he's going to take care of us. That's not what it meant. It meant the king, the most powerful one, comes, pulls you out. There are your enemies waiting to go for you. He sits you down, he sits down, and he prepares food for you, which means this person is forever under my protection. This person is forever one with me. You attack him, you attack the king. And there's, I know we, the King James Version can be difficult to read, but that ist and uths on the end are clues. That means a verb that is a continuing action. For, for, think of uh, Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized is not baptizeth. Why? You believeth, you continue to believe. You're baptized once. Well, here, he prepare rest. He continues to let my enemies know this one's mine. To purposefully prepare food to be shared with another individual is a creation of a thin place, a spiritual, metaphysical event that would take place as soon as you sat down and began to eat with them. Luke wants us to know about this. He wants us to understand the thin places that took place around the table. He felt that was the most important message, evidently, for people to know about Jesus because he put more table stories in his gospel than did the others. In fact, he, he, we, have, we have our work cut out for us looking at those. So we're only going to take a look at a couple this time. Then we're going to take a little break. We're going to do different forms of thin places as we look at Palm Sunday and Easter. And after Easter, we'll come back to thin places around the table in Luke. Most of our stories about the birth of Jesus come from Matthew and Luke, but Luke adds more detail. It seems that he has detail that could have only come from the mouth and the imagination and the memory of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Even her prayers and her words, Luke, uh, Luke writes, Luke has the angels of God coming to the shepherds and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on those on whom his favor rests. Two shepherds? That didn't get, we, don't, we don't get that either. God approached those without any power and standing and told them first the good news. You see, back in the day, shepherds were looked upon as unreliable. They moved. They were not tied to a bit of property like most people were. And in fact, that was incredibly important to the Jews throughout their history and even to this day. Their property, their family, that was huge. But shepherds wondered. They were unreliable. They weren't like us. They were other. They were different. 
They couldn't even testify in court. They couldn't do a lot. They couldn't serve in many roles. But God goes to them first. Staggering stuff, this is, if you pay attention to it. And then Jesus, uh, Luke takes us to Jesus' early ministry. He speaks in the synagogue. He casts out demons. He heals many. He calls his first followers. He heals a paralyzed man dropped down through the roof, which was one of my favorite stories as a boy, because there's people taking apart a church building, and they don't get in trouble. I, I couldn't move without getting in trouble. And then the first meal mentioned in Luke, and it's with a tax collector. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And then Levi held a, a great banquet for Jesus at his house, a large crowd of tax collectors. Now that's a party. That's a party, that is. And others, were eating, they didn't even have the standing of tax collectors, were eating with them. But the Pharisees, the religious folk, and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Now, notice they didn't go to the preacher and complain. They complained over here and just want that to be fed up the line. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not for the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Tax collectors. We have no exact corollary of this in our society today. These aren't the same as IRS agents. I've met IRS agents. I live beside one. I am careful. <laughs> I buy something new. I drive into the garage and lower the door before pulling it. No, I don't. It, uh, he, he only goes after big businesses. He told me I'm allowed to flaunt whatever I have. Levi was not a tax collector in that sense. Levi was collecting funds for an occupation force, an occupier, an enemy, an occupying force that could make you give up your home, your goods, your sons, your daughters, your property, your time. Any Jew that helped them was considered a traitor by the zealots and most other Jews. And many tax collectors they got their salary from a percentage of what they collected, which meant they collected as much as possible and fudged the books. That was their, their reputation. Taking more than they should and then cooking the books to get more of that percentage that they should. Now, I don't know if Levi was one of those people or not. I don't know if Zacchaeus was one of those people or not. He's often painted as one of those, but he did say, if I have taken from any more than I should. So I don't know. But that was certainly the reputation, and that's how people viewed them. And he had a large, he had enough money, by the way, to immediately put on a large banquet. That was amazingly rare in those days. There was a large crowd of other tax collectors and their friends joined them. This was scandalous. This was awful. This would be it's hard to find a corollary. It really is. It'd be like if Jesus came to Franklin, but instead of make, saying, I want to come and worship with Fourth Avenue, he gathered a bunch of atheists. He gathered a bunch of um, drug pushers. He gathered a bunch of uh, women of the street and the like and said, well, let's all get together and have a meal. And we're over here going, Jesus, and, and where is he? He didn't show up for church. Did he know the time changed? You know, we, we would be, we'd be concerned about this. By the way, I'm 
totally opposed to time change. I, I used to be a parent. I understand what that does to toddlers. And I'm also opposed because they always do it in the wee hours of Sunday morning so that you are bright and fluffy the first thing coming in the door. Uh, I, um, therefore, I thought about preaching on hell, but decided, no, let's keep it within place. <laughs> to sit with a person meant you accepted them. It did not mean, mean it was possible that one day you would. It was not teaching. Normally, if we sit with a person that would normally be not acceptable in Christian society, we are trying to help them come into Christian society. That is not what is going on. You've got to get rid of that in your head. And I know how hard that is. This is sitting down with somebody, meaning you already accept them. You already consider them your equal. No wonder they were scandalized. You see, to share food meant you were bound to them because you were sharing life. To us, it's a nice thought when we sit down and eat, but we're just sharing time. We'll even do that little play at the end. Oh, I'll pay for it. No, 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 I'll pay for it. And we, we play grab the check, and my arms shrink, you know, and, it, and, it, and, 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 and eventually somebody pays, and, and we'll even ask for doggy bag, and one of the kids will go, we're getting a dog. No, no, it's, it's, it's an expression. And, and then we'll walk off and leave it, or we'll put, in, put it in the refrigerator and forget about it, because food's everywhere. We really have to get our mind back to here. Sharing food was sharing life. These people didn't have games. They worked all day. Everybody, the kids, worked all day to possibly have enough food to live till tomorrow when you would work all day again. And that was life. No breaks, no holidays. That was all. We feed others, but we expect to be fed. We expect somebody to feed us somewhere. Jesus warned us not to feed others who could feed us. He said, you need to sit down with people who have nothing to offer you. And I believe our Christianity is either revealed or our lack of Christianity is revealed by the way we treat those who can do nothing for us. It's really important we get this. Jesus even warned us about that. And he went outside the lines and he ate with these wealthy, sketchy characters. And when challenged... Back to Luke 5, 31. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. They need me, so I'm there. Please note, he calls them sinners, but he's already accepted them into his fellowship by eating with them. The same as the book of Romans, Paul continually says, you were sinners when Jesus accepted you. Because there were some in Rome that were saying, well, now that he has accepted you, you have to be perfect in all ways. And Paul was going, no, grace still is how we stay in this fellowship. Because we're still sinners. A guy, a Jewish man named Norman Greenbaum. I know, you're thinking, not another Norman Greenbaum story. Nobody knows the name. In 15 minutes, had a tune in his head and wrote a song called Spirit in the Sky. And then back in the 60s, it became a number one hit. And that had a line in it that says, I'm, I'm not a sinner, I've never sinned, I've got a friend in Jesus. And people criticized him over the years for this, and his response was, I'm not a Christian either, I just thought that's what Christians thought. He was a Jewish guy, green bomb, there's a, there's a hint uh, there. 
a Jewish guy. He didn't know anything about it. He just said, I thought that's what Christians believed. He says, I have been told many times since then, no, it isn't. By the way, he also wrote other songs. The flip side of that was Jethro's got himself a milk cow, and I'm sure that was played at your wedding. This is why, <laughs> this is why nobody knows the guy. But the point is, we were sinners when Jesus started eating with us. When we ate today at the table of the Lord, we were sinners. But he always prepares it and lets the heavenlies know, these are mine. These are my people. Jesus forgives first. Before even asking us to change our behavior, Jesus forgives first. If you don't believe me, read the Gospels. He forgives people before they change. Even before they repent, he forgives them because that's who he is, and then he calls us to be the same. Later, it seems perhaps even months have passed, Jesus is asked to a meal by the leader or a leader of the Pharisees. Oh, that was a very risky move. I think we need to give this guy a lot of credit. This was an amazing risky move. I'm just glad this occurred before the time of social media and the internet because it would have exploded and never gone down. Oh, the YouTube videos attacking this. You're going to bring this guy in? You're going to eat with him? Remember, this was not to eat with you, to get to know you, to get to understand you a bit, to get, so we can understand where we have some common ground. That's not what you did at a meal. A meal was an open statement to society that you were friends, colleagues, beholden to each other. And the drama immediately begins. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she shows up. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Uh, it's, it's unusual. That's not what you were expecting at a Pharisee's house. That's not what the Pharisee was expecting to take place at his house. Can you imagine his private agony? There are all of his Pharisee friends, most of them perhaps opposed to this meeting, some of them not eating, perhaps, because they don't want to be seen as accepting this Jesus. And I, I, we have to read a lot into this, and I might be reading that wrong, so just red flag that. But there's, there's, this, is, this is making the guy very, very uncomfortable. And I know we read it sometimes, and we kind of get this self-righteous grin on ourselves about, but I want you to think about it just a minute. Just think. Next week, we're having a special speaker come in to talk about a special kind a thin place that he can speak about to, uh, far better than, than I can. What if, what if, about right when he got started, that woman showed up? I don't know who she is, but let's all act like we know who that woman is. You know, Bubbles LaRue or something that, uh, known as the, the, Frank, the loose woman in Franklin. And here she comes running down front, and she pushes him, and he falls back into one of these chairs. She pulls his shoes off, starts crying over him and kissing him. Are you really going to be sitting there going, oh, praise Jesus, praise Jesus? <laughs> what if your family was sitting with you? 
They've come all the way to Franklin, Tennessee to see what you're doing at 4th Avenue. And they're going, well, that, that was not in the order of worship. Where's the bulletin? I need to understand who this is. What's going on this? This would have been really awful for this poor Pharisee guy. And it's hard to say poor Pharisee, but seriously, it is. Let me explain how this works. They normally eat outside. You've seen the old movies when they, the pharaohs, and there'd be somebody with a palm frond doing this. When I was a boy, I was thinking, well, they're waving at a fan to keep them cool. No, normally you had somebody, usually the children or somebody, whose job it was to wave away the flies because you're eating outside. You don't eat inside. It's stuffy. It's awful. It's where your clothes are laying around. You eat outside. So everybody's seeing this. Now, here was the rules that the Jews had at this time. A lot of it comes from the Old Testament, but they'd modified it and tweaked it a bit. The poor people, if they saw there was a meal going on, could show up, but they had to stay their distance. They had to stay. Now, if there was a walled enclosure, they had to stay against the wall and wait and be quiet until the meal's over. When the meal's over, you did not clear it. You stepped away. Then the poor people could come forward and eat whatever was left. It was a form of, of welfare, and in fact, Many Jews, many, many, many Jews were exceptionally generous about these things and they would put out more food than they intended to eat so that they could step away and there would be food available for the poor. It was considered to be a sadiq, a righteous thing to do. I have no doubt this guy sounds like the kind of guy that would have done that. So the poor know the reputation. They're there in force. But the rule is stay at the wall until the other guys are gone. Verse 39, he goes, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, I'm sure he said a lot to himself. It's the only bit recorded. Maybe it's the only bit we're allowed to have in the Bible. If this man were a prophet, he'd know who's touching him. Ooh, that's even worse. And what kind of sinner, what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. I love what happens next. Look at this. Jesus answered him, answered his thoughts, but even did it in a fun way. Simon, he he doesn't mention, he's not mentioning anything going down below his knees right there. Hey, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon goes, tell me, teacher. I imagine it's like, tell me, teacher. You know, looking around, seeing his friends scowling at him. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. Whoa, this is off. This is not what was on Simon's mind. One owed him 500 denarii. People say, how much is that? Doesn't matter. Just get the head in your, the number in your head. The other 50, 550. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Now, look at this. This is hilarious. They turned toward the woman and said to Simon, you see this woman? <laughs> That's all anybody had been looking at for a long time. And he goes, did you happen to notice there? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil in my head. That was a good thing back then. It was a good thing. But she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Wait a minute. Did she ask for it? We don't know that she did. Did she change her life? We don't know that she did. But Jesus says she's forgiven because that's 
what Jesus does. That's who he is. As her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to, uh, to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus knew there was going to be a Pharisee argument. So he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Get out of here. He does that a lot. He really does. That man lured through the ceiling, he heals him, says, get your bed and get out. Wait, you're having church. No, you don't need to be here. Going to be a church fight. Uh, and it's probably going to make Facebook. Uh, so get out. Once again, what's Jesus do? Forgives the woman. It's a fantastic story. You may be wondering, now how do I apply this to us? You know something? Sometimes you don't need to. Sometimes you just need to know who Jesus is. I, I think that we paralyze Scripture and the Spirit's work in us when we always say, now what does that mean to you? Let's just realize what it means to the universe. Our God eats with us, prepares the table, and forgives us because that's who he is. And then he tells us, do that. Be that kind of person. I'm going to let the Borders family minus one plus two come up. I think it's a spiffy name. Rolls right off the tongue, that does. We'll look at other table stories on other days, like I said, after Easter. I'm so looking forward to Easter. Several have asked, and yes, the many who have asked, I was wondering, should we give the wire crosses a rest this year? And you've said, no, no, no. So they'll be back. And we will do the, look forward to a wonderful Easter here. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, they need it more, right? And eat with them so they're not your enemy. But I want you now to notice something. Jesus would share the table with the rich and the poor, with those with great social standing and with those with no social standing at all. He gave the good news to shepherds, to tax collectors, to religious leaders, and even to women of the night. Why would we doubt his goodness toward us? Would you stand, please? This is good news for us, but it's terrible news for Satan. For Satan's an accuser. He's a slanderer. He'll tell you how bad you are, that you are never good enough. Your faith is never pristine enough. Your worship, your obedience is not precision perfect enough. But Jesus, in contrast, says, let's eat together. We are friends. Sins no longer an issue. They're forgiven. They're gone because Jesus is here. And he calls us not only to believe this, but to treat others the way he treats us and treated them. Let our hearts and our lives be a place of fellowship, grace, sharing, forgiveness. May we be like Christ. Amen.